Hallelujah. Come on, put your hands up in the air. We love you, sir. We bless you. We bless you. We bless you. We bless you. You know, we were worshiping first service, and uh, I kept seeing Elijah. You know, in First Kings, uh, the prophets of Baal said, our God's bigger than yours. He said, okay, prove it. And they said, well, the God that he said, I'll tell you what we'll do. The God that answers by fire. That's the God that we're going to worship. And they said, that sounds fair. fair. So he said, get your sacrifice. And so, man, they got their little sacrifices, slew, slew their animals, laid them out, put some wood out. And, uh, and they called on their God. They flagellated themselves, cut themselves, and hollered and screamed. And nothing happened. No fire fell. And they did it for hours. Nothing happened. And Elijah said, y'all, let's lay, let's lay the oxen. Let's go. Man, they laid them out, put some, put some wood out, put the meat on the wood. And he said, that's not good enough. Get all, and he dug a big trench. And he said, fill that thing, plumb up with water. Soak the sacrifice in water. And let's see which God is real. And man, they soaked it with water. He said, that's not enough. Put some more. So they put some more water, filled the trenches up with water. And he said, oh God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he began to seek God. And he said, show us who the real God is. And the Bible says, fire came down, licked up the sacrifices, water and all. Because there's something about sacrifice that moves the heart of God. Now, you know, today we don't, we don't even think about animal sacrifices unless you're full of the devil. But the Bible says, Hebrews 13, 15, By him, therefore, let us offer up the sacrifice of praise to God continually. When you worship from your heart, how many know that's the sacrifice? How many hear me? Abraham went on top of Mount Moriah. God said, I gave you a boy. You named him Isaac. Laughter. You're happy. He's a teenager now. But your problem is you got misplaced. You misplaced your, your priorities in life. You're putting all your priorities on your son. And you put me last. Put him first. Said, I want you to sacrifice your son. Oh, no, God, please. Not my only son. Not my. He said, no. Prove you love me. Abraham, Abraham put some kidling on his son's back. Said, we got to go climb Mount Moriah. He said, are we going to offer a sacrifice to the Lord? Well, who's going, where, where, where's the sacrifice? And Abraham just said, Jehovah Jireh. The Lord will provide a sacrifice. Just keep on going up the mountain. They got up the mountain and he put the kindling down. He says, son, now here's the skinny. God told me to sacrifice you. He said, no, no, please, please, daddy, daddy. Daddy, please not me. Please. He said, I got to obey God, son. Lay down. He tied him to the kindling, raised his sword up in the air. He's going to kill his son. An angel grabbed his arm and said, whoa, whoa, whoa. You proved that God Almighty is numero uno. He's number one for you. Don't kill your son. Look over in the brambles. There was a lamb, a ram. He said, I've offered a, I got, got you a sacrifice. They sacrificed the, the ram. God came down and consumed the sacrifice. Something about sacrifice, y'all. If you give your life away, God will give it back to you. If, if, if life is all about you and being happy and being comfortable and getting your needs met and doing what pleases you, you're going to be high and dry. But see, God wants to consume the sacrifice of praise in your life. And it's got to come from a heart that's sold out. And I, you know, I know it looks rough today. I know. I get it. 
People are saying, oh my God, what, what's going on in America? God's coming for our hearts. Let me tell you right now, we're going to get into it. I'll get to preach it if I'm not careful. Let me tell you what God's going to be doing in our day. There is the presence of Jesus that's coming. And he's coming for the sacrifice in your life. He's coming for the praise. He's coming for the sacrifice. If you will, you've not seen anything yet. Y'all, I've been, been in God 44 and a half years. And I promise you, here's what I know. We, I haven't seen anything yet. You just wait. We're going into an era of time. It'll be so dark. This place, I've seen it. I've closed my eyes. And I've seen this whole place full of people. I think this might be the biggest crowd first and second service we've had since March. But it's going to fill up. Because there's something about the presence of God. When you taste it, nothing else can satisfy. As a young boy, I was raised in a Southern Baptist church. My dad was a deacon. My mother was a Sunday school teacher in a Southern Baptist church. I went to church three times a week and all week long if we had revivals. But I never, not one time, sensed the presence of God the way I do. I never knew anything about it. At age 17, almost 18, I'll talk about it today, got baptized with the Holy Spirit. When I sensed the presence of Jesus for the first time, first thing I thought was, what is this? What is this? What is this? This is something no drug can give me. This is something no physical thing can give me. What is this? It's inside of me. It's moving in me. It's filling me up. It's giving me joy. It's giving me peace. It's giving me rest. See, the Bible says there is no rest, saith God, to the wicked. If you have lack of rest, you have lack of the presence. In his presence, there's fullness of joy. Fullness. <laughs> Some of you full of the wrong things. You get full of Jesus, you have peace. You have joy. You have rest. If you're full of the flesh, you're full of distraction. You're full of hurt, pain, loss, neglect. You get full of Jesus. Y'all, once you get a taste of the presence of God, nothing in this world can satisfy. Now I speak by the Spirit. Here's a person here. You've known Jesus, but you've gotten, you've wandered off into the flesh. And God's coming for you. He's asking for you once again. He doesn't want your sacrifices. He wants your heart. It'll come to pass that you'll find me when you search for me with all of your heart. That means you lay your friendships on the altar of sacrifice. Like Abraham laid his son on the altar of sacrifice. That means you lay down what you think you've got to have to be satisfied with life. You lay it down on the altar of sacrifice. And God will come for you. How many hear me? See, I have all these things come now. Men, you're dabbling in porn. There's a part of you not satisfied. And that porn will never, it'll drive you further away from God and make you drier than you've ever been in your life. How many hear me? Drugs, drinking. I feel drinking in the room. Drinking. Drinking liquor. Drinking wine. Well, I have a little bit of wine with me. A problem is you get too much. Weed, 
weed. I smoke weed. I know what that's like. I promise you, I thought when I came to Jesus, got full of God, full of the Holy Ghost. I thought, I, I compared it. I said, God, now I've been full of pot. I know how that makes me feel. And I thought that was a great thing. But you know what? Wow. This, this is fullness. See, John said of this fullness we've all received. You can receive fullness today. Some of you, before you leave, if you want to, God will fill you with himself. He'll drive out the desire. You say, well, pastor, I like this stuff I'm doing. Is it helping you? The end result, you're going to be in heaven one day? You're going to be satisfied and happy? Huh? Is that the kind of stuff you want to raise a family with? Is that, is that the kind of stuff you want to bring into your marriage? Into your personal relationships? Come on, y'all. We're going into a very dark season in the world. But the light of Jesus is going to be so bright. You know how bugs in the dark, you put that little, that little uh, that lamp out and they are drawn to that little lamp, you know? Well, you know what? That's what's going to happen to the presence right now. The darkness is so dark, the light, you can't help but, what's that light? Where's, where is it? It's the presence. And in that presence is everything you need. So look, if you're in this meeting today, cry out. If you're bound, I don't know, I don't care what it is. You may be addicted to food, addicted to drugs, addicted to sex, addicted to porn, addicted to alcohol, addicted to weed. I don't care what it is. You can be addicted to Jesus. And all you got to say, listen, I proved it in my own life. If you've got appetites, maybe you come here and you come regularly. But in your private time, you're doing things that you know you shouldn't do. And you're ashamed. Let me tell you how his presence works. All you have to do is say, God, I know I do this, but I don't want to. Would you please help me? See, it's not works, it's spirit. And then you start worshiping. See, God comes and consumes your sacrifice of praise. His presence comes and it'll, it'll move you out of all that mess you've been involved in. See, I feel loneliness in the room. Some of you are very lonely because of what's happened in your life. Jesus can replace the loneliness in your life. You say, well, I don't have a companion. Let Jesus Christ be your companion. I know we like to have a companion in the flesh. I get that. But you can't manufacture or make it happen. If you do, you'll make a mess. But you know, if you'll snuggle up to him. Paul said, Paul said, if you're married, you got more trouble in the flesh. Because you got to satisfy somebody. You find that to be true? I'm preaching. What time is it? Can I just go in? Can I just minister? Y'all mind if I just minister? It's my heart. You know, if you're not married, you can give yourself to Jesus. I've been married since 1979. Before I was married to Susan, I spent my whole time. I was reading. I was listening. I was praying. I was seeking. God filled me up. And then when he filled me up, he said, you know, you wanted to be married. I said, I had a bright yellow chair in my room. Everybody sit down. I just got to keep ministering. Y'all all right? Different service today. I had a bright yellow room. Uh, I had to share a room when I lived at home with my big brother. I drew a line of demarcation. Don't you touch this side of my room. I slap you, you know. But we had a yellow chair, and he'd be going to college, and uh, I just graduated from college. Actually, I was in graduating high school. I was in college, and I got filled with the Holy Ghost. 
And I remember sitting at that chair. I kneeled down at that chair. Oh, bright yellow. It was, we had a chartreuse room with glow-in-the-dark posters on the, on the walls, and we had a black light. And when you turn it on, the posters would glow. I had a big picture of Beelzebub above and his eyes would glow. I said, it's crazy, right? I took that sorry, nasty thing down. But anyway, I had a bright yellow chair in my room. Y'all can cut the lights up now. Can I just keep ministering? You know, you get in the river, you don't want to get out. And I kneeled down at that chair and said, God, I, I, I had a girlfriend. It was a mess. It was the worst thing that I ever did in my life. And I met her at work and she left me and left me high and dry. And see, that's when I got, came to Jesus, got filled with the Holy Ghost. I wanted to marry her, but she two-timed me. That's a long story. So I'm sitting at the kneeling at my chair praying after I got filled with the Holy Ghost. I say, God, I'd love to have a wife, but I want you more. And I just said, you know, I'm going to be satisfied. I'm single. I've never been married. I want to be married. I'm a young man. I want to be married. So you work it out. And see, when I got full of Jesus and I got get devoted my heart to him and gave him everything I am, gave him all my flesh desires as a young boy, young, young man, teenager, oh, I'll put it in your hands, Lord. Then one day I looked at Susan. He said, you want a wife? There she goes. I said, where, where, where? You see, I wasn't looking for her. I was looking for him. And if you seek first the kingdom of God and everything else you need in life, it'll come your way. But if you put God last and you put other things first, you'll dig a hole that sometimes it's hard to get out of. Yes or no? Glory. Come and lift your hands. Lord, we're living in a different day. The presence is here. Lord, Americans haven't experienced the presence like this. Let your presence come again. Thank you. Come on, lift your hands and just worship. Say it out loud, the blood of Jesus. Say it, the blood of Jesus is a powerful force. The blood of Jesus frees me, empowers me, helps me, moves in me. The blood of Jesus. Come on, say it. The blood of Jesus frees me from wrong things, from demonic things. It frees me. It opens me up to the kingdom of God. And Lord, I open my heart to the best that you have for me. Lord, let me enter in to a new way of living in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Glory. I sing praises to your name. Oh, Lord, praises to your name. Oh, Lord, for your name is great and greatly to be praised. I sing praises to your name. Oh, Lord, praises to your name. Oh, Lord, for your name 
and greatly to be praised. Now, Lord, let that same presence that's here now, let it hover over into every life and unseat any hidden thought or desire not born of heaven, but that ignites the flesh. I'm talking every person in the room, young and old, work in us in the name of Jesus. Glory. I, I, I want to share something. Everybody good? Well, if you're new here, give all our newcomers a big hand. We're glad you're with us. I just want to say that we are living in a different day, a different age. Jesus Christ is coming back to earth. The Bible speaks about it quite a bit. It's at least a third of the Bible that is prophetic, meaning it's speaking of end times. Mira, we'll do all the other stuff at the end. Somehow we'll figure this out. We usually do announcements, but how many know some, sometimes you've got to chuck your plans? When I was raised in the Southern Baptist Church, we had a bulletin, and they had a prelude, and then somebody read a, a, a prayer, read, uh, said a prayer, and then we had uh, uh, three uh, hymns, and they put the number of the hymn in the... How many remember any of that? And, uh, and then, and then uh, usually one of the deacons got up. We said the Lord's Prayer together. Y'all can turn me down just a tad. I hear myself. Uh, the deacons um, would lead... Somebody would lead the Lord's Prayer. Our Father would, you know, just say it in rote. Uh, which, if we want to do that. And so then we'd sing the doxology. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, all creatures here below. Praise him, ye heavenly hosts, above ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. I sang it. I didn't know what it was. I was a little kid. What am I saying? I didn't even know what I was saying. Then the pastor would get up and preach. Well, actually, no, they'd take up an offering. And then the deacons would go smoke a cigarette on the front porch. I'm not making that up. We had, we had urns where I could see their cigarette butts because I wanted to toke one when I was a kid to see what it tastes like. I never did, thank God. And then the pastor would preach, and then they'd give an altar call, and then they'd do the postlude. You know, we still do the same thing in churches today. We just don't have the bulletin. How many hear me? But we're living in a day God wants to mess it up. Really, he messes it up, and he straightens it up. Because your relationship with Jesus should be current and vibrant. And when the Holy Spirit manifests, it's not always the same. Is that all right? Now we'll preach the word, but sometimes we'll do different things too. Today we're living in a day there's great pressure. But God will absolve the pressure with his presence. The, pres the, the presence of God is the cure for the pressures of life. There is coming great pressure in America. We've created a lot of it ourselves because we've not given God his place in our culture. Now we're watching the kinds of problems you have when you take yourself self away from God. You cut a light off, the immediate result of a light being doused is darkness immediately right, uh, comes into that place. That's what's happened in America. We cut the light off. Churches have turned the light off. The light of the word the light of the spirit, the oil, the lamp burning quite dimly. You know, God's saying, turn it back up. If you want me, then turn the light back on. How many hear me? 
So it's affecting our children. It's affecting our relationships. If we're not careful, we'll lose the country. And then we'll have the same bondage as the rest of the world have had. America is known as the land of the free and the home of the brave. We'll lose, we'll lose our bravado and we'll lose our freedoms unless we come back to the lamp, the light, the light of truth. Jesus is the light of life. That's just the way it is. How many hear me? So we're living in a different day and I want to talk to you before I go there. I'm in a little series here, four directives for 2021. I'm just talking about some things we should value this year. It's a different year already. We've never had a presidential election like we just went through. And uh, some people think it's not over. I don't know. I just know it's a mess right now. Uh, We've never had troops in D.C. like we have right now. Is that true? So what's going on? I don't know. I'm going to keep my eyes off that and keep my eyes on Jesus. And and the chips will fall where they will. And, uh, you know, we're going to let God be God. But nonetheless... God has a word for us in this strange, strange time. I don't think, I was thinking the other day, I was uh, either riding my bike or walking. I was out exercising. I was thinking what 219 was like. Then I thought about what 2020 was like. And then I got to thinking about what 2021 is going to be like. It's not going to be like any year you've ever experienced. Now, you think that's negative, but I'm going to tell you what's going to be happening. The glory of God is going to fall. If, you, if you'll turn on the sac- if you'll give God a sacrifice to fall on, the glory of God will fall on you. Count it all joy when you fall into all kinds of pr- trouble, James said, right? So, uh, my notes are online for this. I got something I want to share because there's something God's going to be doing. So you can go to victorychurchraleigh.com for the notes podcast. I'm going to mention that. Um, the Victory Church daily podcast. God laid it on my heart a long time ago and it finally started in August, October. Not August, October. So I have a daily podcast you can listen to. It's about 15 minutes to 18 minutes or so. And uh, just, just a daily word from me as a pastor. And uh, you can go on Podbeam, Spotify, or Apple products and find that. Just type in the Victory Church daily podcast. You'll see it right there. And uh, I encourage you to listen to that. Me and we have a coffee time, 6.30 on Tuesdays in the morning. We got a stiff cup of joe and some really good, great, heartfelt conversation. If you want a friend, come. And uh, we'd love to have you join our little circle. It's right in this room in the back, 6.30 every Tuesday. Been doing it for over 10 years. And it's been a lot of fun. Never seen anything with such energy. So I've been talking directives for 2021. And I'm going to get to part three today because there's something that needs to be said because you need to know what's coming in the, in the spiritual realm. Uh, number one, I have mentioned uh, a couple of weeks ago, the first point of this that God laid on my heart for this year is you can weather any storm or test when you align your thoughts, your values, and lifestyle with God and his word. So there's something about the kingdom of God. We just sang about the kingdom of God. Jesus said the kingdom of God is inside of you. And the kingdom of God is all about the word of God and the Holy Spirit and God transforming human life. How many hear me? Yes or no? So if you focus on the wrong things, you'll go to the wrong place. 
But if you'll focus on the kingdom of God, you'll be full of joy, peace, rest, love, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, and self-control, and all that good stuff if you'll focus on the right things. If you focus on the wrong things, you're going to be mad, aggravated, angry, full of uh, vitriol and bitterness and all this kind of mess, just like everybody else. But God's got a kingdom. You, you partake of his kingdom. You can stay out of that mess. That went over big. So focus on the kingdom of God this year. Secondly, I mentioned this last week. This year, you got to choose whether you're going to stay home or come and help us promote the kingdom of God and train new believers that come to Jesus. You got to make a choice. You know, the enemy's figured out how to keep people home away from each other, how to keep churches from meeting, how to keep the anointing down, how to keep the presence down, how to get people disillusioned, discouraged, disappointed. And when you get by yourself, you tend to focus on yourself. You get out of your house and and, and recognize that there are other people, then you focus on others. How many know it can help you? That went over big. One of the best things you'll do this year, by the way, is to turn off your television. News. Turn off the news. Let me go a little further on that. 58, 59, 60. I was five years old, 63. I was five years old. Six, I was five and then turned six. 1964, I started school. I know it makes me old, right? Some of you say, not really. But down that era of time, I mentioned this first service. Um, they talked about the iron curtain. I said, where's the iron? I think about my shower curtain when they said as a kid. An iron curtain? We got a shower curtain. He said, no, an iron curtain. I said, what's an iron curtain? Made out of iron? Well, it's just a figure of speech. And communism is behind. You can't get past that, past that wall of communism into these communistic regimes. They would say, what do you mean? A nation like, like China and like, and like Russia and Asia is communism. And I, and I say, really? I say, and then I would see on the TV because my daddy and mom would tell me, said, you see that right there? I said, yeah, what is it? Well, that news broadcaster is showing a news broadcast from Russia. I said, see, they say, see that person right there? They're just talking propaganda. I said, what is that? Well, they're just saying things that aren't true, but everybody believes it's true because it's coming from the quote-unquote state-run television. And it gets quiet. And they said, Mitch, you don't ever want that in America. We're a free country. See, we want to tell the truth and be honest. One of the values my dad put in me was honesty. Never lie. Tell the truth. And they would look at that news broadcast and say, that's not true. They're telling people things that are not true because if they say it enough, then the people will believe it. My friends, that is happening today in America. I stopped watching the news some time ago. Boy, it's real peaceful. I noticed their thoughts I don't have to resist. I noticed there are emotions that don't bother me like they did because I turned off the propagandist. We all really 
looking at me now? Maybe you like the news. Actually, part of me like to look at the news. But friend, when they begin to twist facts, that is not helping you. Well, how do you know they're twisting facts? You have the spirit of truth in you. And you know the truth from a lie. You know what I do in my personal life? You know, you lie to me one time. That's your fault. But if I let you lie to me the second time, that's my fault. I'm telling you, the best thing you'll ever do is cut your TV news off. That's half your problem right there. Peace. So good. It's propaganda, y'all. Do you hear me? Some people don't like what I'm saying. Don't like it. I'm good with that. The devil doesn't like it either. I know. Number three, let me get to this one. I'll wander back out of that one. Now, this got, number three's got two parts to it. I'll do the second part uh, next week. I was actually sat down to study yesterday, and something came on me. My Lord, have mercy. Mm. I've had these notes for some time, but I had to add to them. Number three of the four directives for 2021 is the Holy Spirit manifests in unity, not isolation. Now, I can't even get to that one yet because uh, I wrote a sentence down. And when I did and I read it yesterday, something came on me and it was the Holy Spirit. I know him. There is coming and we are now entering into a great moving of the Holy Spirit. It will be unprecedented in our time. So let me tell you how God's going to counteract what's happening in America and around the world. He's going to counteract it with a moving of the Holy Spirit. And if you'll get a hold of what he's doing. Now, maybe you're from a background like me. Maybe you're Southern Baptist or Methodist or Presbyterian or Episcopalian or Lutheran or Catholic. I don't care. You know, maybe you're Church of God, Assemblies of God, Pentecostal, don't matter. Whatever your church background is. See, those, make, those cause you to form opinions about everything you hear in church when you come to a church, right? So everybody's in their pace. I just want to talk to you because what's going to be happening is going to encompass everybody. All believers will be involved in this if they want to be. Those that aren't will be left high and dry and will have deep problems. So you're going to have two kinds of churches. You'll have high and dry churches and wet churches. Wet with the water of the Spirit. So i got to share some things here. Um, everybody Okay. I'm looking at the clock. Can we just forget the clock for a minute? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Bo. Your head's right in the way. I don't even see the clock. That's awesome. <laughs> Joking, brother. Let me just, you know, when I was a kid, listen, in 1976, I came to the Lord. And know you, when you get the water of the Spirit, when, when God does something fresh in your life, how many know you want to keep what you got? Is that true? And um, seems like D.L. Moody said of 2 Timothy 1.6, he said to Timothy, Paul told Timothy, stir up the gift of God which is in you by the laying on of my hands. Talk about the, the call of ministry. Stir up the gift of God. And really that word stir, fan into, fan into flame the embers that were placed there by the presence of God. And then D.O. Moody said, the tendency of fire is to go out. Tend the fire on the altar of your heart. I've got it on the top margin of a, of a wide margin Bible, and I read it every now and then. It's an old Bible I used to preach out of. It fell apart. 
But I go back and read that thing, you know, because I wrote it from a book. Then he said, he said, every now and then for a fire, you've got to kindle the fire. You've got to take that poker and poke it. And then you got to throw it because it stirs up the embers and they turn hot, hot, hot red, you know. And then you put some, put another log or two on there. And then you get the bellows. And boy, you, you know, just fan that fire. Stir up. Some translations say flan, fan into flame the fire. So for me as a kid, I say a kid, I was 18. I figured out, so I, I got, I got uh, come back to Jesus, got filled with the Holy Spirit. And then that fire, I mean, y'all, I, I had never known the presence of God until I got filled with the Holy Spirit. It was amazing. He's amazing. And then I said, well, Lord, I want to keep that spark I got. So, you know, then we had cassette tapes in the night, late 70s and cassette tape players. And there was a tape, uh, Kenneth Hagin, uh, it was recorded by Kenneth Hagin, and I got a hold of that in my hometown and the title of the series was uh, How You Can Be Led by the Spirit of God. This was tape number five. See, I can see the front of the tape in my mind right now. And I listened to that thing over and over again because at the end of the tape, the, the Spirit of God fell in the room. Kenneth Hagin had a prophet's ministry. And the presence came. And then even on the tape, somehow it, 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 that presence was transferred to that tape. And I'd play it. I'd put it in my car because I had a cassette tape player. I got rid of my eight-track tape player. See, that dates me. And got my cassette tape player and stuck it in. And I'd listen to that thing. And it was about 10 minutes. And I'd press play. And then, and then, and then that would happen. And, and the Holy Spirit would manifest. And I'd say, ooh, that's good. Mm-hmm. It, it, it did something inside me. That presence got stirred back up. And then I'd press rewind. Click. And rewind it again and press play again and listen to it another 10 minutes. And then, and then press stop and then rewind. And then stop, play. Listen to it. I did that over and over. And I wore that little tape out. I mean, I'd listen to it. I bet I listened to that thing 15 years. And it kept me going. Then in 1979, Susan and I got married. I went to a Bible school in my hometown. And then uh, we moved to Tulsa in 1980, went to uh, Kenneth Hagin School. Rama Bible Training Center at the time. That's Rama Bible College. And, uh, and then while I was there, somebody that worked at Rama uh, uh, and knew the inner workings and such, they gave me a cassette tape, said, you need to listen to this. And they get, made me a copy of a copy they had. And Kenneth Hagin had gone down to, uh, y'all know Lakewood Church in Houston, Texas, John Osteen. It's uh, Joel now, but it's his dad, John Osteen was pastor then, and it wasn't nearly as big as it is now. But Kenneth Hagin went there, listen to this. Jan- I can see the tape. January 18th, 1979. And uh, he was in the service, and it's all recorded on this cassette tape somebody gave me. And I, again, listened to this tape. Y'all, I listened to it. I bet I've listened to that tape hundreds and hundreds of times. And I'd do again. I'd press play, go a certain ways, and stop and back up and listen to it. Here's what he said. And we're living in the middle of it right now. He said he was sitting on the platform before he got up to preach at Don Osteen's church. Now, you got to know Kenneth Hagin. He had a prophet's ministry. A prophet, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 8 through 10, lists nine spiritual gifts. A prophet has gifts of the Spirit in manifestation. And he had discerning of spirits. Discern means to see. He could see into the spirit world. It's real strange. He had a book in 1975 entitled, I Believe in Visions, where Jesus appeared to him eight times. It's fascinating. It's fascinating. 
And one thing I know about Kenneth Hagin, that man don't lie. He speaks quietly, reservedly, but when he talks, take it to the bank. So he was sitting on the platform January 18th, 1979 in John Osteen's church. And that prophet's ministry came into manifestation. He saw in the spirit realm. He looked up over. He said, when he got up, here's what he said. He said, I just saw two angels flying over the congregation. They were singing the song that was popular in the 70s. Soon and very soon, we're going to see the king. Soon and very soon, we're going to see the king. If you're old, you know what I'm talking about. (laughs) Older. I don't know what old is anymore, right? And so... uh, he said, while the Ramah singers and band were singing that, he said, I saw in the spirit room, here's two angels. And he said, they had wings and they were flying around the auditorium. And he said, I saw one look at the other one. And he said, what will happen in the end of time? What will the world be like just before Jesus returned? And the other angel turned around and looked at him and said, and they were flying around, well, well, I don't know. Only God knows. But sometimes, that angel said to the other one, sometimes God speaks to men. And Brother Hagin said, when he heard that from that angel's voice, God sometimes speaks to me. And he said, the word of the Lord came unto me saying, there is coming a mighty move of the Spirit of God just before Jesus comes back. Now, as a kid, I would listen to that over and over and over. And, you know, when I came to Jesus, we're at the height of the charismatic movement. This service won't be the same as first service. I have to figure out. I don't know where. We'll go somewhere. It'll be good. But I got to share this. When I came to Jesus in my hometown, we had a revival Thursday nights. We had every denomination and then a lot of people that had no denomination. They didn't know God. We'd fill our church up. Charismatic Church, Baptist, Methodist, Presbyterian, Episcopalian, Lutheran, Church of God, Assemblies of God, name yours, whatever your favorite denomination. They came by score. People from my Southern Baptist Church were there. My, our praise and worship leader in the Southern Baptist Church got filled with the Holy Ghost in that Thursday night meeting. But we would have the presence, but, but, but people would come because during that era of time in the 70s, the presence of God was here, strong. Now today, it's eked away because we've gotten stale and satisfied. And we've become religious again. And our hearts are so set on so many technological things we have that occupy our time. We've given our time away. God's saying, I miss my time with you. He's coming back. See, he's coming for your heart. See, if you'll check up on the inside, there's something moving you inside right now. God is saying, come back to that place with me. Closeness. So, a move of the Spirit of God. Now, again, when I was young, we had a move of the Spirit. and It lasted, man, a good long time. My hometown was amazing. I went to a Bible school out of that. People in my Bible school, I mean, they, they took hallucinogenic drugs and were still overcoming the effects We'd be in the Bible class. Would y'all please pray for me? I'm seeing things. It's just crazy. Because they had come to Jesus and got filled with the Spirit. It was amazing. Y'all, we had times. 
We're coming back. But it's going to be stronger than it ever was. We'd have times in Bible school, we'd have a little prayer and praise time in between classes. And we'd have class all day. And we're just old hippie people. I mean, I wore jeans and tennis shoes and a T-shirt. That's it. I had long hair until I had to cut it off to get a job. And we're just hippies full of Jesus. (laughs) I'm not kidding. But y'all, the presence of God would come. It brings up great emotion when I think about it because I'd never, listen, I went to church all my life and never experienced the presence of God. Did you hear me? I didn't know what that meant. I'd never felt it. When I got filled with the Holy Ghost at age eight, almost 18, The Holy Ghost came on me for the first time in my life, and I had been to church all my life, almost 18 years, had never had the presence of God on me. When it came on me, I thought, what what is this? What What is this? What is this that's on me? It makes me weep. It gets inside me. I can't, I can't get away from it. And then my little 18 year old mind would say, Well, now I know what it's like to get high smoking pot and taking pills. I know what that feels like, but this is different. That's all on the outside. And it makes me anxious and agitated. And I cuss a blue streak and do some nasty things. But this, this gets down in where I live. It gets into my thoughts, my motives, my being, my visage, the formation of me. It goes deeper than thought. What is it? What is it? It seems as though this person that I feel knows everything about me that can be known. And I've never been loved like this. I don't know what to do with this. I'm afraid. I'm afraid I'd fall on the floor in my room. And I say, God, I don't know what's wrong. I I don't want to talk. I'm afraid. I'm afraid of what you're seeing in me. I'm I'm afraid of the desires you see in me. I'm afraid of what I want to do if I didn't know you. It's all selfish. Oh God, I don't know. How can I talk to you? It felt so pure. It felt so holy. It's indescribable. It makes you weep when you talk about it. We'd be in class in Bible school. And we'd just be singing holy, 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 holy. Holy, holy, Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And and then I'd look up and and, and I was on the floor. And then everybody on the whole class, I'm not making this up. We had 30 people, 35 people in the class. Everybody's on the floor. And suddenly we're not singing. We can't sing. We can't sing. I can't say anything. I'm there. I feel... Pulverized. I feel undone. At the same time, I feel full. I feel loved. I feel wooed. I feel satisfied. I feel joy. I feel peace. I feel God. Every now and then, I heard somebody out of one side of my ear, my left ear, holy is the Lord. And say nothing else. And then somebody over here, holy is the Lord. We're all on the floor. Because I'm telling you, 
when the presence comes, the human will bend. I'm not kidding. You've never tasted the presence of God. You haven't lived yet. He's amazing. He's better than any sex you'll ever have. He's better than any porn men that you'll ever watch. He's better than any drug you'll ever ingest. He's more satisfying than any liquor you will ever drink. He tastes better than any Twinkie you will ever eat. There's something about God that gets into you. He sifts between joint and marrow. It's amazing. It's amazing. Our generation knows little of it. We project smoke because we don't have the presence. We have lights because something's got to dazzle us and keep our attention. With this presence, you can worship under a tree or in a cave. And it gets in you. And when it gets in you, y'all, it changes you. Left alone, I'm not worth knowing He didn't leave me alone. You hear me? And he won't leave you alone. The greatest experiences of your life will be when you're in the presence of God. Like Kenneth Hagin said in the front of his book, I think it's understanding the anointing. When you get a taste of the presence of God, nothing in this life can ever satisfy you hear me? So let me tell you a little story. Go to John 7. Y'all here? Can you feel what I feel? Do you feel what I feel? Well, let me just say this first of all. God speaks by metaphors in the Bible. God speaks by metaphors and symbolism frequently, and that's what he does. Sometimes you'll have a dream from the Lord, and it'll be metaphors and symbolism, and you've got to figure out what it means. It's just the way he, he's been that way through the whole Bible. The Bible was an agrarian culture, both Old and New Testament, generally speaking. They lived close to the land. They knew about animals. They knew about animal husbandry. They knew about farming. They knew about crops. They knew about seeds. They knew the necessity for rain. We live in the industrial age, and we just say, go to the grocery store and let's go get some corn or some peas. Uh, we just go there. We don't even know about having to have the rain so we'll have something to eat. Right? Yeah, I know. But they did. So, if you're a farmer, for instance, you know, or if you just grow a garden or you like your grass to be green in your yard, you've got to have water. Is that true? So I want to talk about water real quickly here. John chapter 7, verse 37 through 39. Now, I've got to explain this. There's so much hidden here that it's quite amazing. We're moving into a manifestation of the Holy Spirit in the church for those that will allow it, some will not. I've made up my mind I am. I have tasted something. And once you get a taste of God's presence, you can never be satisfied. And that's me. So if you don't like that, you just want a Southern Baptist service, don't come here. 
I'm serious because you will be disappointed. Because I, you know, I'm going to preach the word because that's fundamental and basic. But we're going to let the Holy Spirit manifest. And not everybody likes that. Some people are upset and mad about it. I'm good with that. The devil is for sure. John 7, listen to this. On the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out saying, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. By this, But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom they who believed in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. That verse needs a little explanation. The reason I want to talk about this, this is the foundation to understand a fresh moving of the Holy Spirit before the rapture of the church occurs. So let me just say this right up front. You're going to start hearing a lot, in, uh, a lot online and on the internet about the rapture of the church because there are a lot of people that believe. I just read some things yesterday, just happened to glean a little bit that believe we're right at the rapture of the church because they believe before the revelation of the Antichrist, the church will get taken out and they won't be here during any of uh, the time that he's alive in the Middle East and doing things and stuff. Now, some people believe that, so they're talking about it a lot. You'll hear a lot more about the rapture. It's going to happen. Some very big names believe that, and I'm good with that. I taught that for 25 years, but 10 years ago, I had an epiphany. I had a, a revealing or whatever you want to call it. Um, God shined some light on me, and I don't preach that anymore because it looks like we're going to be here for the first period of time during that tribulation period the Bible talks about. It's about seven years. We'll be here during the first part of that, and we'll know that person that the Bible calls the Antichrist. Uh, culture won't call him that, but we'll know it and see it. And then life will become somewhat chaotic worldwide, and, uh, and we'll experience that. But see, at the same time, the Bible reveals there's going to be a revival before the rapture occurs. So I think part of the way into that, a little, little past halfway into that, rapture's going to happen. So during that time period, and we're in, what I'm trying to say is right now, we're entering into a new era where if you, if you will let him, God will do some different things in you and in church and in the people around you because there is the Bible term, a harvest of people that God wants in his family. How many hear me? So, so let's look at this again. Look at this. Go back to John, John 7. So it says here, on the last day, that great day of the feast. Now let me talk about it. Two Jewish feasts are aligned with harvest in Jewish culture. So hear me out a minute. Here's in the notes. You can look at it right there. The feast of Pentecost, first of all, was associated with spring rain. Everybody say Pentecost. And it was associated with spring grain or wheat harvest. Everybody say spring harvest. And then say Pentecost. Let's see, Pentecost means 50. It means 50th. And so Passover, Passover feast, you know, it's Easter time. We celebrate Easter Passover feast for the Jews. And uh, 50 days after the Passover feast was Pentecost. That's why they call it Pentecost. So it's the feast of Pentecost. And they had that feast celebrating the harvest of grain and wheat. Uh, and it's obviously in May of the year for us. And uh, it, what, what that harvest needed was what they called the latter rains. They had two rainy seasons. 
They had the latter rains, which were in the spring. I know it seems backwards. And then they had the early rains, which were in autumn. And so this Pentecost, the feast of Pentecost and that harvest during that season needed the latter rains. And that's what they called it. Then you had the feast of tabernacles or the feast of ingathering or some translations would say the feast of shelters or the feast of booths. They lived in tents outside for a few days just to remind themselves that, that, that God helped them. In, in various ways in their history and in their past. So again, the Feast of Tabernacles or in-gathering was associated with a harvest of oil, olive oil. You pick the olives off the tree and squeeze them, you get the oil out of them. And then the harvest of grapes. So again, the Feast of Tabernacles or Feast of in-gathering uh, was associated with harvest, the autumn harvest of the year. And, and early rains were needed for that harvest if it was going to be strong. Now, now here's the cool thing. So here's Jesus on the last day of this feast, of this harvest feast, feast of tabernacles. Here's Jesus and he starts to say some things, but you got, I'm, I'm trying to set the stage here. The Jews understood some things about this day. On this last day of this feast of tabernacles in Jewish history, how many have heard of King Solomon? You know, the dude that had a sex problem, had 700 wives and 300 slave women. Yes, and he's a mess, y'all. He was just a mess. And go read Ecclesiastes. He said he was a mess. But anyway, God used him. He was uh, David's son. And God used him to build the first Jewish temple in Jerusalem. And, and the day that they, the day that they uh, uh, um, dedicated Solomon's temple was this very day that Jesus was there at that Feast of Tabernacles. Same day. Now I want to read you something. Here it is, 1 Kings chapter. Everybody here? Chapter 8, verse 2. So all the men of Israel assembled before King Solomon at the annual Feast of Shelters, which is held in early autumn in the month of Ethanim. So here's the Feast of Tabernacles. And then look what happened as they were dedicating Solomon's temple. Skip down to 1 Kings 8, 10. When the priest came out of the holy place, that is the Holy of Holies, a thick cloud filled the temple of the Lord. Verse 11 the priests could not continue their service because of the cloud, for the glorious presence of the Lord filled the temple of the Lord. Wow. So, so, so Solomon built God a great big temple, and it had this place called the holiest of all in the back. They came out of that, and when they did, the, the same thing happened that happened when the Israelites were in the wilderness. They wandered for almost 40 years. And a cloud would come during the day, and it would obscure the rays of the sun right over the tabernacle. There was a tent called a tabernacle, and that's where they worshiped God, and God's presence came. And a, a cloud during the day. And then at night, that cloud turned into a fire at night, and it'd light them up. They'd see the presence. During the day, they'd see the cloud of the presence. At night, they'd see the fire. They knew the supernatural God was with them. Isn't that awesome? And here they went to dedicate the temple on this last day of the Feast of Booths, Feast of Ingathering, Feast of Tabernacles. And they dedicating the temple. That same cloud came into the temple. And the priest couldn't stand up. They fell down because the presence was strong. Now, Kenneth Hagin had a prophet's ministry. Many times, I lived in Tulsa for eight years. Many times we'd be in his meetings. And he'd be up preaching and say, the cloud's coming in. He could see in the spirit and a cloud of glory. He said it looked like a cloud. I never saw a white cloud. 
He said, everywhere it covered, the people disappeared. But now I was there when the cloud came. And let me tell you what I experienced. The atmosphere changed. The presence of God came. And it feels like it was so thick you could feel like you could take your knife out your pocket and just cut a little chunk out and take it home with you. It's like you didn't want to move. It was like what we experienced in my, in my class in Bible school. And what I many times after I was baptized with the Holy Spirit experienced at home, the presence of Jesus came on me. It's the presence. It's a cloud. So here on this Feast of Tabernacles, the cloud came and, uh, and the priest couldn't stand. So here's Jesus on the last day, the great day of the Feast of Tabernacles, stood, out, uh, stood and cried out saying, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. So on this great day of the feast, it happened in Solomon's day and it happened here in Jesus' day. Here's Jesus at this last day of the feast. Everybody with me? You're going to get this, watch. Uh, the priest came and he went to the pool of Siloam, which was nearby, got him some water, scooped some water out of the pool, and he was going to pour it on the altar, the altar of sacrifice. So it was a symbolic thing. So he took some water from the pool of Siloam. Siloam means scent. Everybody say scent. Everybody say Siloam. The pool of Siloam means scent. And so he, and the water from the pool of Siloam, it came from a, a spring that was outside of the city of Jerusalem called Gihon Springs. Everybody say Gihon. Now the word Gihon, you know what it means? Bursting forth. Jesus said, he that believes in me out of his belly will burst forth torrents of living water. Isn't that something? And so Jesus was basically saying, listen, I'm the one that was sent by my father. I'm going outside of the city bearing reproach. I'll become your sin and shame. And then a spear will hit my side. Blood and water will burst forth. I am the Gihon spring. And when you come to me, the springs of life that I have will come on you. And it will revitalize everything you are. Out of your belly will flow rivers of life. When I was a little boy, we sang, there's a river of life flowing out of me. It makes the lame to walk, the blind to see. I sing it to sometimes. See a sticker. It makes the lame to walk, the blind to see. There's a river of life flowing out of me. And friends, we've quenched the waters of the river of life. And God's saying, stir them back up. How many hear me? Now, water is a type of the Spirit of God. Rain is a, is a metaphor for the Holy Spirit uh, all throughout the Bible. And uh, so let me just talk about Everybody okay? And so the Bible talks about rain in association with Jesus' return. I'm just trying to show you where we are. Get your eyes off the dark mess happening in America. Let's get our eyes on what Jesus wants. James 5, 7, dear brothers and sisters, be patient as you wait for the Lord's return. Consider the farmer who patiently waits for the rains in the fall and in the spring. He's talking about the early and latter rain, right? They eagerly look for valuable harvest to ripen. You too must be patient, take courage, for the coming of the Lord is near. So he, he equates the coming of the Lord with harvest season. And then he equates the harvest season with, with rain 
And so what's going to be happening? This is the theological background for a big moving of the Holy Spirit before Jesus comes back. You wonder, so well, why is Jesus waiting? Why did he just come on back? Well, 2 Peter 3, Peter said, verse 9, God's not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. There are a lot of people that don't know Jesus working around you, living around you, talking to you. They're in your families. They might be your children. They might be your siblings. Might be your family, extended family. How many hear me? If they don't know Jesus, they'll never get to heaven. They're walking in darkness. They don't have the light. And they're scared right now out of their wits. What's happening to America? What's going to happen to my income? What's going to happen to this peaceful culture that we've known? What's changing? What's happening? And you can say, watch. God's doing amazing things. Come with me to church. Come. There's a Bible study. Hey, there's a small group. Come and watch the presence of God. They say, watch that. You say, come and taste. You hear me? Rain is needed for a crop to grow. Amos 9, 13, the time will come, says the Lord, when the grain and grapes will go faster than they can be harvested. <laughs> See, said the time's coming that the harvest is going to be so great. It's growing so fast, they can't harvest it fast enough to plant new seed for a new crop. It just keeps coming, just keeps coming, just keeps coming. And then the rains begin to melt together. It's not just the spring rains and the autumn rains, the latter rains and the early rains. They all just kind of deluge together and there's just one constant flood. Isaiah 44, 3, I will pour refreshing water on the thirsty. Have you ever been thirsty? Do you ever feel high and dry? Like, where is God? I've got problems and I don't know what to do with them. What's the answer? The Word and the Spirit. I will pour refreshing water on the thirsty and streams on the dry ground. I will pour out my Spirit on your children, my blessings on your descendants. And then listen to Isaiah 55. Y'all hear? Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. This wine and milk... Buying and eating is not talking about natural things. These are metaphors for spiritual things that only say to spiritual hunger in the heart of man. Because he says in verse 2, why do you spend money for what is not, that which is not bread? And labor for which does not, that which does not satisfy. Listen to diligently to me. And eat what is good and let your soul delight itself in abundance. Well, you know what God's saying? These natural things can never sate you, never satisfy you. There is coming a spiritual substance from me. It's coming from the river of life. It's going to burst forth from the inside of people that know me. It's going to water your life and it's going to help the people around you. How many hear me? Joel 2.23, be glad then, ye children of Zion, rejoice in the Lord your God, for he has given you the former rain faithfully, and he will cause the rain to come down for you, the former rain and the latter rain in the first month. In the 1980s, I was in Tulsa. Kenneth Hagin had a prayer meeting on the Rama campus. Uh, uh, I, of course, had attended school I was working a job, and when Susan and I first came to Tulsa, they had a prayer meeting on Sunday nights at 6, and then weekdays, Monday through Friday at 1 o'clock, and when Kenneth Hagin was in town, he would uh, look over that prayer meeting and lead the prayer meeting, and that's how I learned to pray the way I pray, right in that meeting. 
And uh, so I go on Sunday nights at six, Susan went with me then, then she had to work during the day. My work, work started at, my work day started late at night on work nights. So I would go at one o'clock in the afternoon and I just, I would just, um, I would just watch how he prayed. And one thing he prayed in this early eighties, he would take Zechariah 10, one, say, ask the Lord for rain in the time of the latter rain. The Lord will make flashing clouds. He will give them showers of rain, grass in the field for everyone. And he would pray, Lord, bring the rain, send the rain in the time of the latter rain. He'd start praying for Russia. He would start praying for the communist countries. He started praying for Asia, for China, started praying for all these countries. Really, really, really deeply started praying for Russia. You know, we called it again, as I mentioned earlier, the Iron Curtain was up. You could hardly travel there. It was very difficult to smuggle Bibles in. Some people did, if you remember that era of time. And then, uh, and then I remember time after time we'd pray, Lord, let the rain come. Lord, let the rain fall. Let the Holy Spirit move. Let the Holy Spirit manifest. Then in uh, November of 1989, uh, Susan and I moved back to South Carolina when the Berlin Wall fell there in Germany, in East Germany. And, uh, and when that Berlin Wall fell, it just kind of broke the, the cords of communism in that whole area. And then amazing, amazingly, Gorbachev opened up, um, opened up Russia. And y'all, I've been to Russia, I've been to Latvia, and I've been to Siberia, I've been to Moscow. And you these beleaguered people that were beleaguered with communism. See, communism wants to come to America. Do you want that? Huh? You want socialism? Just go take a trip, see what it did to them. Ask, ask them about it. Well, it opened up. And y'all, churches by the thousand were started all over Russia. I've been to Siberia two times. I've been in Moscow. I've been to Latvia, Baltic states. I mean, they opened up, and, uh, and, and, and I'm, I was there. I'm sure Kenneth Hagin was the only one praying. I'm just saying he started praying, Lord, I asked for rain in the time of the latter rain. Rain on these communistic nations, and God did it. God did it. And I watched, and I, I've been a part of that. Then Evangel Fellowship International, I've been a part of that organization. I'm on their board now. I've been a part of that organization since um, 1992. And uh, 1993, I, I traveled to Latvia. And uh, then I've been several, several trips over that part of the world with them. Hundreds of churches. I'm just saying thousands. They started hundreds of churches after that communistic thing kind of broke apart. And the people were allowed to to hear truth again. And I'm just telling you, ask the Lord for rain in the time of the latter rain. I've watched that firsthand as it affected these tight areas of the world that you couldn't hardly get in with the gospel. And I'm just saying the same thing's gonna be happening in America. Let me encourage you in your personal life. Ask the Lord for rain. Go back to Zechariah 10.1. Ask the Lord for rain in the time of the latter rain. Then lastly, I wanna share. Everybody Okay. I want to say I'm over. I just want to cut the cow. Y'all okay, really? Y'all want to go eat or you want to hear this? Are you sure? I'm really almost done. I'm violating all the rules they tell me at the pastor's conferences. I get it. Ezekiel 47, I'm, I'll, be, I'll be done with this. Ezekiel saw a river. Now, let me tell you about the prophet Ezekiel. Ezekiel saw God several times. And in Ezekiel 47, towards the end of the book, Ezekiel saw the temple the temple of God in heaven. Then he saw the, the re, it must be the rebuilt Jewish temple during the millennial reign of Jesus. 
And he talks about the dimensions of it in the first part of Ezekiel 47. I'll say some time, I'll just tell you the story. You can go read it, Ezekiel 47. It's in the notes, Ezekiel 47. And he said, he said there was a river coming from the throne of God and flowed down through the temple and flowed out into the valley. And he said, the further you went in that river, the deeper the water got. First of all, it was ankle deep. He said, he said you go the length of six football fields, almost. Six football fields, 1,800 feet. Uh, this was 1,750 feet. So I say six football fields. And, and the water was up to his ankles. Then he said he went another six football fields and water's up to his knees. Then another six football fields and water's up to his waist. Then another six football fields. You can't even, you, you can't control yourself. The water takes you. Water's a type of the Spirit of God. He said, you get into the river of God, every, verse 9, uh, Ezekiel 47, everywhere the river went, things were healed. Things were helped. The land was healed. <laughs> the vegetation was green. Everything was healed. Anything the water touched was healed. Jesus said, if any man thirst, let him come to me and drink. He that believes on me, as the scriptures have said, out of his belly will flow rivers of living water. What happens when you get full of the Holy Ghost, part of that river that, I, that Ezekiel saw coming out of the throne of God, coming down into the new temple in the future, it's part of that river's inside of you. He's the river of the Holy Ghost. Y'all ain't even excited yet. And he said, in the end times, it's going to rise up. Ankle deep, knee deep, waist deep, waters to swim in. So y'all, if you'll start seeking God and say, God, create in me a hunger for you. See, I'll, I'll end it right here. Say, God, if you'll just create in me a hunger. Wherever you are, I don't care if you're high and dry. You might be sitting here and you've been coming to victory for a long time or maybe you're new. Maybe you're your young person and you come with your parents because they say, you better go to church, you're going to live under my roof. Maybe you're high and dry. I promise you, if you say, God, I'm not hungry, but I want to be hungry. See, Psalm 107.9 says, he satisfies the longing soul and fills the hungry heart with goodness. Matthew 5, blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness, they'll be filled. Hunger. That Greek word for hunger in Matthew 5, starving. I just had a mental image. Susan and I walking down the street, downtown Raleigh one time, this years ago. True story. Got to the street corner, and here's a trash can, and somebody had put half a hamburger from McDonald's in that trash can, still wrapped up in the wrapper, and here's a beggar on the street. It broke my heart. He reached down that trash can and got that old used hamburger, half eaten. He ate that thing. He was starving. To a hungry man, every bitter thing is sweet. Y'all, I close with this. If you're dissatisfied with your life, if you're not full inside, there is nothing else that can fill you like presence of God it'll get down Hebrews 4.12 says into the joint and marrow it'll get into where you live talk to you and help you 
I'll end this by saying, y'all, I've had times in my life. You know, this presence knows everything about you that can be known. It knows every motive, every thought, the deepest desires, the greatest lack, the biggest needs. That presence knows. And see, I started praying this. God created me a hunger for you. Because you fat is satisfy the longing soul. And then Jeremiah said, it'll come to pass, you'll find me when you search for me with everything inside. What you wrestling with in life? Maybe you smile at it when you come here. Maybe just smile and everything. But when you go home, it, it's hell on wheels, man. See, God understands. If you say, God created me a hunger, then ask him for the presence. Ask him for his presence to come in a fresh way in your life. You know what? He'll satisfy you. We're living in an era of time. The Holy Spirit's rising. You're going to see things you've never seen. You're going to see people healed. You're going to see people, I mean, you're going to see people healed in front of you. You're going to see people set free from all kinds of mischief and mess. And then everybody said, yeah, they've always been that way. They'll change. Because once the presence of God comes on you, if you'll yield to it, you'll never be the same. How many want that?